Welcome to Dances FAQ, the podcast that gives you health information, keys for action and motivation, as well as tips for your career and well-being. My name is Alex Renier, and I'm very excited to share all of that with you, artists, athletes, and dancers. Hi, guys. Welcome back on Dances FAQ. Today, we are going to cover another health subject with my guest, Chloé Arnoux, who is a physiotherapist, yoga teacher, and blogger based in Paris. The theme of the day is the psoas. Remember this painful stretch that you get at the physio? This muscle that is also called the emotion muscle as well as the garbage muscle? Well, today is the day you get to know more about it and find ways to pamper it. We'll give you tips to optimize your warm-up and stretch your psoas effectively. Before we start, I just wanted to remind you that you can find additional content such as videos and pictures on our Instagram account at DancersFAQ. If you like our content, follow the channel and drop a review on the app you're using. We'll love it. Thanks. Enjoy this episode. Hi, Chloé. Welcome on DancersFAQ. Bonjour. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. So today we are here to talk about the psoas. As an introduction, could you tell us where it is situated and what it is there for? The psoas is a muscle that is situated at the front of the spine in the lower back around the lumbar area. It's a muscle that links two articulations. It goes from the lumbar area to the pelvis and from the pelvis to the femur. As you can see, there are two different articulations and this is pretty rare for a muscle. I think it's even the only muscle that works with two articulations. It's the muscle you need to walk upstairs or when you need to stabilize yourself in order to grab something on the floor and bend your torso towards the ground. Okay, and why do we call it the garbage muscle? All the muscles are able to stop toxins, but the psoas has a particular position. In fact, because it is in the area where the viscera are, it is at the back of the intestine and the colon, by capillarity it catches toxins that are in the colon and the intestine. So when momentarily we have a lifestyle that is not great and that we stock a lot of toxins, the psoas catches some of them, and when it has too many toxins, we say that it is toxemic. In that case, it neither has the same elastic capacity nor the same contractility capacity. And when you're a healthcare professional or a physiotherapist or an osteopath, you can feel it by hand and people can feel that there is something odd with their muscle. They feel some pain or feel uncomfortable. That's because their psoas became a garbage and that there is no longer a muscle that responds correctly. So in this case, do we really need to go to the doctor or can we set up routines to avoid having a psoas that is overloaded in toxins? So it depends. I recommend all the time to consult a professional in order to make sure that there is not something else. Because it is quite difficult to self-diagnose, apart from when you have a real experience and that you are able to recognize these symptoms. If you can't pinpoint where your pain is coming from, it's always better to get a consultation because pain can hide something else. I always recommend going the safest way. But then, when you are able to recognize the pain and self-diagnose, then you must make sure that the garbage can empty itself. In order to empty the garbage, it is important to hydrate properly because the toxins have to be flushed away via urine. Drinking water, we also flush away the toxins through the stool because the colon needs good hydration. And then you have a training routine and a maintenance routine for the psoas. You can go in warrior one or very far like in the bridge position or that kind of pose. They would allow you to stretch the psoas like you would wring out a sponge. These are exercises that can be used for a psoas that is not in great shape. 
prendre soin d'un psoas qui n'est pas en pleine forme. Right. And how do you find your balance between stretching and reinforcing your psoas? I have in mind the image of people doing hundreds of crunches to reinforce their abs and psoases. Bah déjà, le bon équilibre à avoir, c'est de ne plus jamais faire de crunch. Well, the first thing would be to never do crunches again. I am an anti-crunch militant because it creates terrible organ descent. For women, as much as for men, it creates lumbar compression. So the idea is to never pack on yourself pushing down. And then, yes, it is important to find a balance. Find a balance between the front and the back. Meaning that the muscle needs to be tonic enough, so it means reinforcing it, but it's not while doing crunches that you work on it, but more doing pilates and lifting your legs. And then you do have to understand how a muscle works. If you stretch it all the time, it will end up not being tonic anymore. If you reinforce it all the time, then it will be contracted and it will be spasmed. So none of these scenarios are right. It's a question of perception. You have to feel it in your own body, but you must do both. What would you recommend as an intelligent warm-up with the psoas as a focus? For example, for a dance class where we'll have many exercises bringing the leg towards the torso, exactly what you mentioned in Pilates happens in dance in a standing position. I have in mind the dance studio before the morning class, and most dancers are stretching first. I see only a small percentage of people raising their heartbeats. We all know that starting with stretching on the floor is not ideal, but many of us are still doing it. What would you recommend to prepare this muscle that is extremely used in dance? Un vrai échauffement. A real warm-up, as its name indicates, is needed to get warm. Stretching is not getting warm, it's getting cold. It's the exact contrary to what is needed. You should also start with a warm-up because the aim is to pump the stamina, meaning pumping the heart, in order to make the blood travel faster because it's in the blood the oxygen is. And that's how muscles work. In order to work well, they need to be well oxygenated. Stretching makes the blood go away from the muscle. It doesn't bring it in. So for a dancer, it would be more useful to run, to jog touching your butt toes with your heels, to jump on the spot, to use a skipping rope, and making your knees go towards your chest. This would get the psoas ready. It makes you warm up, it makes you sweat, and you feel warm and your muscles are ready for a physical activity. Starting with stretching is a way to make your muscle tired and maybe go too far. But if you warm it up first and then stretch, why not? But don't start with stretching. Starting with draining out the blood of the muscle is a bad idea. This bad idea is widely spread. That's why we have so many patients. Yeah, it's terrible. Because it's true that during dance studies, we hear it a lot. We don't want to see you on the floor finishing your night. Move, take the space, stand up. But still... If you go to a dance class, so many dancers, the majority, I would even say, start lying down on the floor, stretching, using their spiky ball, trying to release tensions and so on. Then maybe a few of them stand up and move a little bit before the start of the class. Some of them do planks, but I very rarely see someone pumping and being out of breath and sweating before the start of the class. You can do it in a moderate way. I personally do it often in yoga. You can start on the floor and go towards movement step by step. Try to connect to your inner self, do some figure eight with your spine and so on. Move one leg and then the other. Maybe go to a downward facing dog with bent legs, then straight legs and then do some cardio in order to raise up the temperature. 
In yoga, that's what we do. We start on the floor and step by step, we increase the intensity and launch sun salutation. That's okay. But what you tell me sounds like a yogi starting the class with a split. That is never seen. Nobody does that because it's a way to damage your body. A yogi that wants to do a split would start by moving, then stretching the psoas, hips, shoulders, going through several sun salutations in order to make sure that all the articulations are ready, and then the yogi would do a split before coming back to a restorative practice, stretching at the end and diving into relaxation. Talking about yoga, I know that certain body parts have big symbolic. Is the psoas linked to something special? The psoas in yoga is linked to the opening of the hips. The opening of the hips is the second chakra called the svadisthana. And it is linked to fear, to strong emotions, to sexuality, to pleasure, to connecting to yourself. That's what it represents in yoga. You shouldn't visualize the psoas in your back or on your belly. I see many sports coaches showing it on the belly, but it's much deeper and lower. You should be able to feel it more around your hip. American studies show links between the psoas and the mindset. The level of freedom of the psoas reflects the mental health. For example, a tight psoas can go hand in hand with depression, anxiety or fear. When it's relaxed and flexible, it shows a relaxed state of mind, optimism, well-being. We can now prove that because we know that the fascias communicate with the nervous system. Fascias are connective tissues that surround the human body, every organ, blood vessel, bone, nerve fiber and muscle. Fascias iliaca are covering the psoas. When we are stressed, the body puts together a lot of protective mechanisms, like a shell, but also something that gives us the capacity to run away or fight. When we are not feeling well, we have the tendency to put on this shell and close on ourselves. We have to imagine a child closing up in a ball and in this position, the psoas are fully retracted. In the fetus position, the psoas are contracted And you see this on stressed people. Usually, they are not in open shoulders and open hip positions. They are with closed shoulders and closed hips. That's why we say that psoas is the emotion muscle. When someone is stressed, when someone is depressed, this person ends up instinctively in a closed position. It is very difficult to make them open up again, to open their hips and open their psoas because they are not used to it and it's because it can be scary. In yoga classes, you see people crying this kind of open position because emotions are finally coming out. And this, we know, that it comes from the communication between the fascias and the central nervous system. So when we say psoas, the emotion muscle, it is not something that comes out of the blue. You can verify it for yourselves in daily life. When kids are punished, you can witness them rolling on themselves. They cower. Adults that are very stressed cross their legs or bring their legs up and in the end are never in an open position. On a journey of well-being, relaxation or psychological work, it is important to explain that and avoid pushing people. When people don't feel well, it is not a good idea to make them do a frontal spit. It's too violent. Maybe work on one leg, then on the other leg, maybe both, but not going all the way being gentle. And step by step, the body will drag the mind with it, or the mind will drag the body, and the psoas will let go. But this is a lengthy work. How can osteopathy help? 
Alors l'ostéopathie déjà ça Osteopathy can help in a first hand to make a diagnosis. Many people come thinking that they have a problem with their psoas and the problem is nowhere near that. So it can help to avoid overstretching the psoas that they didn't ask for anything when the problem doesn't come from there. So first, osteopathy can avoid having the wrong diagnosis. Second, maybe your psoas is not feeling well because something else is not going well. Maybe a digestion problem, a knee problem, an ankle problem, a posture problem. So we can work on those things to allow the psoas to work correctly. And then, when we find that the psoas is contracted or toxemic because of a bad lifestyle or too much stress, most of the time, both, then we will work on it differently. Maybe we will work on the fascias, maybe on the diaphragm, or maybe on the skull, in order to relax the patient and give the person the capacity to stop building a shell around her or him without forcing on the psoas. It is never great in osteopathy or physiotherapy to force something. We bring it with gentleness and sometimes it's even better to bring it through elsewhere. So the interest of osteopathy is to avoid wrong diagnosis and to approach the problem from the right angle. In your consultations, you combine osteopathy and yoga. Why is it important for you to have these two approaches? Well, I am a yoga teacher and studied yoga philosophy. While studying this field, I discovered that yoga people were great doctors and incredible anatomists at the time. They saw things on what we are, only now opening our eyes on. They saw things such as the third eye that is inside the brain. The third eye shows where the pituitary gland is situated and it was discovered long before we could do scans and confirm its existence. They knew how it was working and they were using inversions in that sense. They knew that there was a web of fascias that was going through the brain in two parts and that it goes all the way to the coccyx. That's how the brain is cut in two parts. This principle is the foundation of Kundalini Yoga, for example. And when you go through yoga books, you find similar information that you find in books of osteopathy. The only thing is that osteopathy was created around 1850 and yoga 3,000 years ago. These elements make my consultations very complete because osteopathy is passive for the patient. I'm the one doing everything. It's not like physiotherapy, where the physio works with the patient and makes them do exercises. In my practice, it's only passive. So putting yoga in my consultations allows people to take charge of themselves and be actively involved in their health. I'm just here to tighten the screw, change a fuse and so on. But the full machine has to be taken care of by the patient. So yoga is a great thing to maintain a healthy lifestyle, to respect our body and improve our health. You already answered all my questions. You are super clear and you went straight to the point. Yes, well, I do write a lot on this subject, so I'm used to answering questions on this topic. Also, I only speak about things that I know very well, and I read tons of books and articles about the Yeah, that's why you're my guest today. It's because you are an expert. Is there anything I missed? Would you like to add anything? In order to respect the machine, people need to be conscious of how a muscle works. Not only the psoas, any muscle, biceps and quadriceps. You should never start with stretching. It's not nice. It's really not nice and it's not useful. 
It doesn't bring anything to stretch a cold muscle that's not oxygenated, that doesn't have its nutrients. It's the long run. You'll get the muscle sprain. You'll get tendonitis, depending on what you do. And it can lead to the end of a career. And that's why the question you asked at the start about starting your day stretching on the floor is really important. It is essential to spread the word that it's a very bad idea. I took care of many athletes, professional sports people, swimmers, rugby players and professional stuntmen. And it's very difficult to spread the word and to make them understand. That's why I switched to pregnant women and babies, because they listen more. Dancers and sports people are looking so much for performance that they forget their body is their tool. It's like if I was doing finger bodybuilding until the moment I break my hands, I couldn't work anymore. Dancers that are always stretching without reinforcing their muscles enough will get muscle sprains for sure. Also, if you stretch so much that you cannot hold yourself properly, there is no co-option between articulations, and that's why so many dancers get hip prothesis. That's because they don't support their articulation the right way. To make your articulation stable, yes, it must be stretched, but it must be strengthened. And because of this intense stretching routine, because you're looking for a particular aesthetic, the body gets damaged. Also, not everyone can do that kind of stretch. To be able to go far, you need to train from a very young age and distort your body. Not every human is able to do a split. For example, there are some pelvises, some hips that will never allow the body to do a split. It's because of the shape of the pelvis. The shape doesn't allow you to go that far. People need to understand that. They need to understand that this is not within everyone's reach, except if you distorted your body in from your childhood. Young dancers at Paris Opera School will be able to do whatever they want because they distorted their body. But due to this desire to go beyond forces of nature and to maintain a good relationship to the body, meaning allowing days off, at least one a week, people do hurt themselves badly. Also, with this inverted routine of strengthening and stretching, the mechanism of the articulations are distorted and bones start to touch each other. Bones are not made to touch each other, and when they start rubbing, you get arthrosis. Among dancers, this leads to hip prothesis, and I see dancers getting this surgery when they're not even 40 years old. There is something that we mentioned before on the podcast and that I talk about pretty often with my friends is that the way dance is transmitted is evolving greatly. I think the reason why certain people have a hard time to have a healthy routine and listen to their body is that they were told to train that way since they were kids. When you are trained in a specific way, when your teachers and coaches pushed you a certain way, when it is anchored deeply inside you, it is very difficult to break your habits and build new ones. Even if you can experience injuries or feel that something is odd in your training, it is very hard to deconstruct it. From my experience, when I started dance, when I showed up at dance school, I wasn't really told healthy routines and counter exercises. I wasn't told to train parallel as much as turned out or flex my feet at the end of the class because we always work on point feet and so on. It is important to get these things set up by adults. When you are four, five, six years old, you don't realize these things. You are reproducing what you see. It is so nice to see things evolving, training being more healthy, teachers being aware of anatomy and physiology. It's a real pleasure to see dance schools evolving, slowly but surely. I'm so happy for little dances. It is changing for sure. For example, we were talking about crunches earlier. They will be taken away very soon because we realize the impact they have. It's like everything. When we understand what it can do to men, 
We check out what it does to women. The effects are worse on women than on men, but we are communicating about the effect on men and explaining that repetitive crunches lead to umbilical hernia, which is the intestine going out through the navel, to inguinal hernia, the intestine going out near the groin area, and the most beautiful one, the scrotal hernia, the intestine dropping inside the testicles. Usually men don't like that. They keep training with inguinal hernia, but when it drops inside their balls, they finally stop. Also, because of pushing so much towards the lower abdominal, they brutalize their perineum too. And the perineum plays a role in holding the penis. So men mistreating their diaphragm, their psoas and their perineum end up with sexual impotence. And when men have sexual impotence, we finally take a subject seriously. So there are less organ descents and less bladder leakages among women because we stop crunches. So things are changing. Also, people start to understand the importance of warming up and stretching. And among dancers, yes, they can't always be working with legs turned out. It is important to go in, turn in too, in order to take care of their psoas. I see that things are changing, but I would say that we need at least 15 more years. Yes, things are changing. Where can we find you, Chloé? In Paris, in the 15th arrondissement. I have two practices, one near Cambronne and one near Garmont-Parnasse, where I've been working for 10 years. I also have a website, osteo-arnoxb.fr, O-S-T-E-O-A-R-N-O-U-X-B.fr. Great. Thank you again. It was really nice to have you as my guest today. Thank you. It was really nice. Thank you for listening until the end. If you found this episode useful, share it with a friend. Next week, my guest will be Thomas Love English, and we'll talk about deep squats, mobility, neuroscience, Turkish toilets, and more. Stay tuned. <laughs>